One of the most fascinating realms is the Asura realm. Mm. And I really think that a lot of people can uh, learn from the Asura mentality because it's it's fairly common. And it's a fascinating area and we'll talk about this this Asura realm. First of all, what is this word Asura? Mm. Where, where does it come from? Uh, there's one, one uh, mention in the commentaries of the derivation of the name. The, the Asuras were, were thrown out of the Tawatinsa heaven for, uh, after getting drunk. Ah. And they were thrown down the side of the mountain and, and uh, they regained consciousness halfway down the mountain mm. as they were tumbling down. And they cried out, Nasur Bawati, Nasur Bawati, meaning we will not drink liquor, we will not drink liquor. Ah. So it's, it's kind of like the human beings that get in, get drunk and get in trouble, and then the next day they're all, oh, I'm never going to drink again. Yeah, and they were drinking at the highest level, weren't they? They were. This was champagne um, of the highest quality. Yeah. Was, they're thrown out of aristocracy or the highest realms of maybe intellectual and artistic capacities because they're where where are they living when they're thrown out what are they thrown out of okay well um if we go back to the origin story of the asuras uh, they were the original inhabitants of tawatinsa heaven at the peak of mount sinaru mm. <clears throat> and saka and his 33 gods had been human beings who made much merit on the earth doing various kind of um, building projects and things for the common good and then when they they died from a human birth. They came to a rebirth in Tawatinsa. Mm-hmm. And the Asuras were the inhabitants of Tawatinsa at the time, mm-hmm. welcomed them and um, held a feast to honor them, which included uh, copious quantities of this uh, liquor that they brewed. Mm. Is and there so, any specific name for this liquor? Uh, Dibapana. Dibapana. D- divine drink. Divine drink. Yeah. Now I'm sure we're going to get a lot of speculation on what form of drug that is, and, yeah. and <laughs> well, it, se- it seems to have been alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Basically, it may, you know, may have been you know, extremely exquisite, as you say, like champagne, heavenly mm. version of champagne. Um, and Saka told his crew, "Don't drink any of this liquor; it'll it'll make you heedless." Mm. And the the Asuras drank and drank and drank until they passed out and lay, lay snoring on the golden sands of Tawatinsa. Mm. And Saka said to his companions, pick them up by the heels and throw them down the mountain. Mm. We shall not share heaven with such as these. Ah. <laughs> and they were tossed down the mountain and they came to rest at the, at the root of the mountain under the ocean, mm. as, which is a curious detail because they're um, not described, their existence uh, and uh, in their Asura Bhavana, the realm of the Asuras, mm-hmm. is not described as being aquatic in any way. They weren't like mermen or anything mm-hmm. like that. They they were you know air-breathing, you know, terrestrial sort of beings, but mm-hmm. they were under the ocean. So the way I come to interpret that is that the surface of the sea acts as a kind of a magic gateway or... Mm. Uh, passageway to yes. enter their realm. So they're in this Asura Bhavana at the bottom of Mount Sinaru and the, the Tawatinsa Devas are at the top. Mm-hmm. 
and the two realms are kind of mirror images of each other. The Asuras, uh, the, um, the, the Dewas at the top of the mountain um, are primarily sensual beings. So they're caught in sensuality. Mm-hmm. The Asura beings are caught in the opposite defilements of ill will, aversion, uh, anger, jealousy. Mm. So the Tawatinsid they was looking down, see see the Asura bowen at the bottom as a kind of distorted mirror image of themselves, a kind of funhouse version of of um, the Tawatinsa gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and these beings, the Asura beings, forget that they're not in heaven until uh, their tree. They have uh, there's a um, a world tree in each realm, a characteristic mm-hmm. tree that li- la- lasts for the entire world age, mm-hmm. called a Kappa Ruka. Kappa, Kappa is Ruka. world age. So Ruka Kappa is, tree. is like a, an eon. Yes. Uh, yes. A, a, the entire duration of a world system. Yes. And uh, Ruka, Ruka is, is tree. tree. Yeah. Uh, so very fanta- very interesting that they have its beautiful like symbols. They use symbols so well. Yes. And they... Each realm has a symbolic tree. Yes. And how many of these trees are there? How many realms? There, there's seven. Oh, this there, is very good for memory as well, isn't yes. it? Yes. To, to help pin down the characteristic of each of these realms. Yes. There's one they... one tree on each of the world islands, uh-huh. and one in in the realm of the four great kings, uh-huh. one in the Tawatinsa, and one in Asura realm. Mm-hmm. And um, what is the name of the one in the Asura realm? Uh, Chittapatali. Chittapatali. And the one in the Tawatings of Heaven is the Parichataka tree, mm-hmm. and it's probably the most famous, the most uh, comes up the most in the stories, mm-hmm. and it's very beautiful blossoms. Uh-huh. And uh, when, for example, when the Buddha entered Parinibbana, the Tawatings of Deva showered the um, uh, the site with blossoms from uh, the Parichataka tree, falling out of the heavens. Yes. Into the into the human realm. Yes. So when the uh, this tree comes into into flower, yeah. the um, then the asuras see their tree doesn't have the same beautiful flowers, uh-huh. and they realize they're not in heaven anymore. Uh-huh. And uh, then they they swarm up the sides of the the mountain like ants up a pillar to attack Tawatinsa and try and get back in. Right. So there's a continual continual wars between the Tawatinsa gods and the Asuras. This is the highest... The Tawatinsa heaven, we could say, is the highest realm in which conflict occurs. Right. The, the, these battles between the uh, the Dewas and the Asuras. Yeah, it's so, so interesting, uh, just the psychological ramifications of this, the, the idea of that of remember, having fallen... Out of a more divine ex- uh, or a better state of existence, and every now and then you're reminded, you because you know your your ordinary states of mind become the norm. But every now and then you remember mm. what it was like to be at, at a higher level of being. Yeah. I mean, this happens a lot with with uh, drugs and alcohol for people. And uh, then they they might go on a strict uh, program to retain regain their former state of grace or their uh, elevated condition. And it seems though the motivation is wrong that it's a, it's a motivation of anger. I, I 
what's happened to me. Maybe they're angry at themselves. Maybe they're angry at the world. Mm. But you can't get it back through anger. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, they can never succeed. They can never conquer heaven. They always it's an get intrinsic eaten back. Yeah. So it's an endless uh, Groundhog Day kind of. Yes. <laughs> so what this battle that they have now they come up out of the sea they pass through this magic surface of the sea now you were, you were talking about as we investigate what they mean by the under the ocean it yeah. seems to be not underwater but kind of through a, almost a mirror surface yes. that you step through the mirror yes almost Alice in Wonderland you, you yeah. step through this mirror surface into a different realm yeah. I know in the Greek mythology they often use the sea to represent the con above this ocean is the conscious mind and then mm. the unconscious mm. mind they have beings living and functioning in the unconscious world so maybe the asuras have fallen into a certain level of unconsciousness as well like mm. subconsciousness yes yeah i think that's a valid interpretation and i think all these stories have uh, multi levels of meaning uh, yeah. And it's certainly one valid interpretation. We also find this similar story in the idea of an older race of gods that were overthrown by the newcomers in yes. Greek mythology right. and also in Norse mythology with the Asgard and the storm giants. And mm. this is a common, I think, uh, uh, Aryan heritage. Yeah. That all these all these pantheons have this, this story of the old gods being overthrown so right it's another level of of meaning there yeah there's a reference some sort of reference to an earlier innocent perhaps condition which uh of course uh that's you know as in north america as alcohol came to north america mm. the natives did not handle it well yeah and uh they tumbled out of heaven as well yes they? yeah so Let's go back to the Asura's attempt to regain heaven. Who are they fighting with? Who are they attempting to um, get back? Well, they're fighting primarily with the the um, Dewas of Tawatinksa. But the they the Dewas of Tawatinksa also have the allies in the uh, realm of the four great kings. Ah, and they have allies. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're the vassals of the Tawatinksa ah. gods, right? So they um, they have lines of defense all up Mount Sinaru that oh. are uh, uh, protected by um, Nagas, Supanas, Kumbandas, all these sorts of beings. Are, ah, and if they if the uh, Sura gods get past all these lines of defense, they get up to the gates of of, of Tawatinksa, then. Uh, the very last defense is um, uh, these statues hmm. of uh, Saka in his form of Indra, the, uh, the wrathful thunderbolt-wielding hmm. deity. And when the Asuras see these statues, they become terrified and run back to their home. Hmm. So uh, this this explain maybe some of the statuary around Buddhist temples. Uh, you, sometimes see a, a, a naga or a dragon yes. as the yeah these are the, the idea of this is to keep um, uh, ev evil malevolent beings away you know, yes. frighten them away yeah. right 
yeah, so that yeah, it's very interesting that it's it's been really embedded in the architecture of Buddhist structures and somehow in uh, European you have these gargoyles and yes. so forth. You see them in uh, in in monasteries, temples, cathedrals. Mm. Uh, they have the same. It's amazing the the universality of this. Isn't it? Yeah. So um, they they make their way. Do they manage to get past the uh, the realm of the four great kings? Sometimes. Yes. Yeah, they get it, uh, and it has a there's a the relative strength of the dewas and the asuras is um, in a large degree controlled by what goes on here on the earth in the human realm if humans are keeping good morality uh-huh. then uh, when they die relatively more of them are reborn in the Dewa realm mm-hmm. and the Dewa uh, host is increased mm-hmm. but if people on the earth are behaving immorally in a heedless way then more of them are reborn as Asuras mm. and the Asura army grows in strength mm-hmm. and they, and they uh, experience victories in their battles Similar to this Christian idea, as in heaven, so on earth, you know. So the Buddha also mentions that, yeah, when people take the eight precepts, go to the monastery, take the eight precepts for day and a night, uh, that the strength of the, in heaven, Hmm. the population in heaven grows. And and why the uh, Tavatingsa devas notice the decrease in population is because people are not going. Yes. Buddhist monasteries, keeping the eight precepts. <laughs> you must go. <laughs> Take the eight precepts because you do want to be in the Tavatingsa heaven. You don't want to be an ex-Tavatingsa um, person thrown down into the realm of the mm. the faded glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, as they... So do they ever succeed in in this battle, or is this... No, neither side can ever have a complete victory, Ah. because it's said that the two cities of the the two sides are impregnable. Uh So the greatest victory they can have is to get to the gates of the opposite city, Hmm. but they can never overthrow it or enter in. So it's a a perpetual, endless conflict that can Hmm. never be fully resolved. This little reminds me a little bit like Athens and Sparta. Yes, you know, yeah. um, and the Athenians are not harsh uh, and militaristic. They're more uh, egalitarian and artistic and philosophical. Uh, they have dem- democratic votes, um, but the Spartans, although they're just always militaristic, they can't seem to take over right. Athens. Yeah. It's an insight really into what it is that um, uh, makes a higher dwelling of existence, and one one of the, one of them is the ability to cooperate and to appreciate uh, beauty and so forth. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so they manage to get to the gates there. So what happens when the Asuras get to the gates? Well, they get at the at the very end. They get frightened away by these statues of Inda. Uh huh. They lose their nerve. Yes, yes. Huh. They don't seem to be very brave, actually. They're full of bravado and bluff. Ah, and they, oh, that's uh, interesting as well. Um, the, there's also a story about one of the one of the wars where 
Saka was coming down the side of the mountain to attack the Asuras in his chariot. Mm-hmm. And they were passing over the Simbali Grove, which is the, the grove of trees on the slopes of Sinaru where the Supanas that we talked about, the giant bird creatures, mm-hmm. live. And as he was flying over, he heard uh, cries of distress. And he asked his charioteer, Matali, where do these heart-rending cries come from? And he said, we're destroying the abodes of the Supanas with the passage of our chariot. And they're tumbling into the into the sea. Mm. So we said, well, we can't destroy. Saka said, we can't destroy innocent beings for the sake of victory. Turn the chariot around. Mm. And when he turned the chariot around, the Asuras thought that that was some kind of maneuver and he had um, reinforcements coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, In one version of the story, he thought there were other devas coming down from Tawatinksa and another version is the Sakas from another world system are coming to aid him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they lost their nerve and ran back to their, mm-hmm. their uh, palace under the sea. Huh. Maybe it's a little lesson for military strategists. Yeah. Uh, the interpretation your your enemy is always imagining that you're th- that there's three levels of tactics deep and yes. sometimes misunderstand the yes. innocent moves yeah but it's interesting also that they're interested in not in minimizing collateral damage so yes they're not going to destroy the evil uh, and have collateral damage on the innocent so that's yes. it's a kind of a, an ethical standard that they uh, adhere to yes, yes. Yeah, that, that, that's a lesson also for the modern world mm. you see this in um, even high speed car chases and so forth you know it's mm. like do we really need to do this does this matter maybe we should just um, mm. let them get away this time you know <laughs> yeah. the, the Asuras didn't always keep that same morality mm. they were rougher cruder sort of um, approach there's another story about the Asuras in um, in one of their passages up the mountain at the on the shores of Sinaru where it breaks the ocean there there, there are uh, communities of these holy seers Isis mm. yeah, Isis yeah or Rishis Rishis is Rishis a, is a, a Sanskrit <clears throat> yeah and um, as the they one of them, the leader of one of these communities, asked the uh, the Asuras for uh, uh, protection, for safety. Like don't, because they they tend to just rampage through these villages and knock mm-hmm. everything down on their passage mm-hmm. heedlessly. And and um, the king of the Asuras, uh, who was at that time his name was Sambara, he said, uh, "No, we we know you're partisans of Saka." So we're not going to spare you. Hmm. And so they cursed him. And uh, later he uh, woke up in the night screaming. Hmm. And the other Asuras came to see what was the matter. And he, and he said, oh, nothing, nothing. You know, he's trying to um, you know, minimize it. Mm-hmm. But he, he had pain in his head like a hundred spears were piercing him. Hmm. And then his name became uh, Wepachiti, broken mind. Ah. And he was after that he would have bouts of madness. Ah, very interesting, the re- mental health repercussions of this. Mm. And he is feeling the repercussions of transgressing the sanctuaries of the Rishis. Yes. 
and it's kind of a bit of a warning about mm. holy people and sacred people and so forth don't mess with them mm. um, it comes back to you in the form of uh, mental pain mm. yeah mental yeah. pain yeah. so let's continue anything more about the asuras that we have well the, the relationship between Whippachiti and Saka is an interesting one ah. Uh, because besides being enemies, they were also relatives. Uh-huh. Sacco <laughs> well, was the, uh, ma- had married the daughter of the um, of uh, Wepajiti. Ah. So, uh, what does that make him? His father-in-law, brother-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was. Wepajiti uh, is Saka's father-in-law. Yes, father-in-law. Yes, father-in-law. <laughs> so here we go with the family dynamics. Yes, yeah. And so sometimes they would travel to travel about together ah. in a friendly way yeah. in between the wars. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes they would be at, at war with one another. This is like Stalin and uh, whoever it was. What it was the American president at the time? You know, oh, Roosevelt. Yeah, they were, what do they call them? Odd bedfellows, or, yeah. you know. The, yeah. You have to. Uh, real politics is is that you have to deal with. Sometimes they're you're in open conflict. And sometimes you have to uh, fake uh, friendship as well. There's a great story about um, uh, Saka and Sujata, the the daughter of Webachiti, mm. uh, that how they got uh, together. Mm. Um, she was uh, originally uh, one of the human wives of Saka when he was still a human being. Mm. He had four wives. And three of them um, made merit and were reborn in Tawatinsa alongside the other day was. Mm. But his favorite was Sujata, and she was this kind of frivolous, mm. you know, sensuous, bad girl mm-hmm. who, who never never did anything meritorious. And so... Her next birth after that was as a, a crane, a bird. <laughs> and Saka went looking for her in the realms, mm. and he saw her as a crane in some mountain mm. mountain pond. And he took her in his chariot and flew her around the shore of heaven mm. and said, you know, this is what you've missed. Ah. So you have to, from now on, keep the five precepts, and maybe you can be reborn here. Mm. So then he, he tested her by transforming himself into a fish and floating in the pond as if he was dead. Mm. And uh, the crane saw this floating fish and, and thought, oh, this one's dead. I can have this one without breaking the precepts. Mm. And then he started flapping and uh, she dropped him right away. Mm. So she was keeping the precepts. So then she went through a series of various other births and finally got reborn as a daughter of the uh, 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 Sura king. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, when she came of age, they had a, um, a ceremony where all the Asura lords were assembled, mm. and she had a wreath of flowers, and she was to choose her husband from mm. this wreath of flowers over the neck of her husband. Mm. And Saka came into this realm as a, in the form of an old, broken-down Asura, mm. and everyone was laughing at him. You know, they're mm. never going to choose you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and she, because of her past karmic connection, she felt compelled to throw the wreath over Saka. Mm-hmm. And then when the wreath went over his neck, he transformed back into Saka. And this mm-hmm. enraged all the uh, Asuras. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Here is 
Saka, he's fooled us again. Mm. <laughs> and and they all start chasing after him with their weapons. Mm. Uh, but then just at the nick of time, his charioteer, Matali, came down with his chariot. And they, they leapt into the... Uh, the bride and groom leapt into the chariot and escaped. Hmm. So, so in these old poly stories, there's even like car chases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. The uh, so many things to unpack in that story of relationships as well. Mm. Uh, the emphasis on uh, if you want to remain. In a, in a beautiful relationship, you have to both uh, remain moral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that occasionally you get tested as well. It says as a, his appearance, Saka's appearance as an old Asura, an old ugly Asura. It's also maybe the Asura's ideas about... Um, uh, that they tend to judge on superficial qualities mm. and that he genuinely is internally beautiful. Oh. He has an, uh, a genuine beauty to him, which they fail to... They, they're mocking his physical appearance. Yes. But he has this, this higher, this beauty of virtue. Mm. And then that, that becomes revealed. Mm. You know. Yes. So that's not just simply on a political level that these things... But also on a personal level, and um, and of course you see this that whole groups of uh, individuals can influence whole groups of consciousness. You know that yeah. the consciousness sort of starts to take over a whole society. Mm-hmm. Whole, whole groups fall into this whole attitudes. You know it's amazing. Such subtlety and uh, beauty and. Uh, Nuances and levels of this, these, these uh, stories as well. Yes, <clears throat> and they're not, they're not stories. They're not really fiction. They're they're actual realities that beings live in, and they live in. And I, you can see them preparing themselves. And this is what they're really saying: is that these, they are already preparing the consciousness for full immersion in these realms. At, mm. Walking around as humans, this mm. is where you're preparing your consciousness for entering into these mm. realms of consciousness. And these are these are not not real. Mm. They are as real as it gets. In mm. fact, the uh, material world is simply a backdrop, a stage mm. for for consciousness mm. to to act out on. The reality is consciousness. Yes. And the, and the, the mere background, in the consciousness... So one who is in a depressed state of mind or an angry state of mind cannot see the beauty in nature. Mm-hmm. But one who is light, unburdened mm-hmm. and feeling well is endlessly appreciating and seeing the beauty you know, of, a, mm-hmm. of the opening of the sky, the, the sun, the, the, the blue casino of the sky, yes. and so forth. Yeah. There's a, a, a story about the Nagas that illustrates this mm-hmm. point very well. One of the motifs that comes up in several of the stories is the Nagas want to reward some virtuous human and they um, take him into their realm and he lives in a palace and he has all these, he's being served by all these Naga maidens, Mm -hmm. all in beautiful human form and there's music and food and, you know, all this sort of sensual pleasures. 
And the, the way the story usually unfolds after a hundred years in the Naga realm, uh, he, he gets beyond the, because of his innate virtue, he gets beyond the desire for sensuality and he asks to be returned to the human realm and he then becomes a, a hermit or an ascetic. Mm-hmm. But in one, one story, there's a, a low, uh, evil sort of scoundrel who, tricks the Nagas into thinking he's virtuous mm. and he gets down into this realm but he can't enjoy the pleasures mm. uh, the Naga maidens seem to him like ferocious yakas and the, the palace like a, a dingy prison mm-hmm. you know, and the food is distasteful and coarse right. so he's unable to, in, to experience the sensual pleasures and it's the same as we might say objective reality but yeah. his, his subjective experience is entirely different yeah it's just the incredible wisdom it's like taking a dog to an art gallery and yeah. <laughs> all the dog smells is the obnoxious smell of oil paint yeah. and uh, he sees nothing uh, he does not see art or anything yeah. like this and uh, in uh, the human consciousness if, if one has not developed one does not see that reality it's simply mm. not there for one yeah. But as one develops, suddenly new things emerge into reality. Yeah. Sometimes you get I get the question when I'm talking about this stuff. People want to know: uh, Are these realms real? <laughs> you know, and I, I I tend to find think that's a rather naive question. Yeah. So I like to turn it back and ask: Well, uh, how real is this realm, and what do you mean by reality? Mm-hmm. You know? I that it is naive, and I I think that. It's only since the last 200 years that anybody could think to ask such a question. Yes, yeah, that, that's true. That everybody before that knew um, that was a, that would be a childish question. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe children <clears throat> know enough not to ask such questions either. You know, they're yeah. they're they're enraptured by these stories. They're yeah. they're absolutely real. <clears throat> but it's only in the in the scientific materialist linear. Um, annihilationist kind of attitude that you can ask is this real real immeasurable uh, with in the in the chemistry tables or yeah 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 Yeah. so that's um, that's is there anything else about the Asura realm that you'd like to add? Uh, to we could mention um, one particular, another particular Asura of mm-hmm. some importance is Rahu. Ah, yes, Rahu. Rahu, who is the uh, largest of all beings with a body. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, a, he's uh, so big that he stands in the ocean and, and the water doesn't reach up to his knee. And he says, people say this ocean is deep. I don't know where they get that from. Mm-hmm. And he's the being who's responsible for eclipses uh-huh. when uh, he sees the sun or the moon he grows uh, jealous of their radiance and uh, he tries to uh, either cover them with his hand which is a partial eclipse or mm-hmm. he swallows them which mm-hmm. is a um, total eclipse right but he's unable to stop their progress and he has to release them mm. so he's the is this uh, maybe jealousy? Um, this is when one sees a shining intelligence or talent or spiritual capacity mm. 
there's some agency in in nature that wishes to impede the the radiance mm. and yes. jealous of the radiance. Yeah. And it's it's a massive presence. It's 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 a, mm. a large thing. Um, <clears throat> one of the, one of the things that I take from the story of remember Rahu is attempting to swallow the moon and um, the devas of the moon come to the Buddha and and mm. they're they're concerned about this. Yeah. He says, um, uh, the, your protection is in the, in faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha mm-hmm. and in virtue, <clears throat> and that the Rahu cannot. And if he really did, the moon would move through his head. You know. Mm. And you see this in uh, part of Asian culture. A kind of a, a response to eclipse is to come out and uh, and bang pots and pans yeah. and fire off uh, firecrackers and things like making noise to scare away Rahu. Yeah. And people of the scientific disposition tend to dismiss this as like a very old kind of superstitious. But actually, it's a in in some sense it's a preparation because what is in every culture when you get tyrants and uh, dictators attempting to overcome the 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 political system, mm. there is only one possibility: is that to protest in large numbers, mm-hmm. and so Rahu is also the the mentality of tyrants and dictators. Mm-hmm. It is it is Stalin. It is Hitler. Is Rahu? They're enormous. Mm-hmm. They 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 are enormous powers, aren't they? Yeah. And <clears throat> it's only by kind of cooperative noise, protest that and the. Uh, the return to virtue and faith that uh, overcomes this. You see this in uh, both in Russian history and in German history. The first thing that went was religion. Mm-hmm. They had to annihilate the religious structures or twist them. And yeah. You had a re- reformation around the Lutheran church and some of them became Nazis and so forth. And, in, and of course in Marxist Russia they just squashed the orthodox yeah. things because that is the source of pushing back yeah. uh, on, yeah. these, on this attempt to swallow yeah. but notice that neither Stalin nor Hitler is around anymore Yeah. <laughs> so but, but no matter church, how many the times yeah. they do it passes through their head and then you get this yeah. rebound this re- reformation a return to the church a return to this um, kind of yeah. see what happens um, when uh, darkness surrounds you so to uh, just briefly recap the uh, geography that we've covered so far uh, we've been looking at um, the inhabitants of Mount Sinaru which is the central world mountain this massive mountain 84,000 yojin is high and 84,000 yojin is below the sea uh, halfway up the mountain are the realms of the four great kings and various kinds of um, uh, fantastic beings live on the slopes like the supanas, the giant birds. At the peak of the mountain is Tawatinksa heaven, the, the heaven of the 33, the, the dewas or the, um, the gods over overseeing this whole world system. 
ruled by Saka. And at the base of the mountain, under the sea, is the realm of the Asuras, who are the inveterate enemies and rivals of the gods at the peak of the mountain, Mm -hmm. and continually trying to um, storm the slopes of the the mountain and take back the the kingdom of Tawatinksa. Mm -hmm. 